Good morning. How are you? You doing well? Good. Glad to hear that. Uh, if you don't mind standing, I'd like to pray God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you we can gather here today uh, as your body. We thank you for the freedom we have to do so. We uh, ask the Lord uh, today you would be present through your Holy Spirit. We ask that your Spirit would illuminate our minds, warm our hearts, kindle our affections. Lord, to make us to love you, embrace you, serve you, glorify you, exult in you, and rejoice in you. Lord, we... um, truly acknowledge that, I acknowledge, Lord, that apart from you, I can do nothing. And I ask that today you would speak through me for the benefit of your people and your glory. We pray in your name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Open your Bible, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. I don't know about you, but I love the Christmas season. Does anybody else like the Christmas season? Raise your hand. If you like the Christmas season, clap. All right. If we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen? So as much as the season is a blessing, the season can also be a little stressful. Anybody relate to that? Raise your hand. Yeah. So we love the season, but it gets crazy. And people out there are pretty crazy. I saw this, this thing on Instagram, this, this gal was driving in a car talking about how crazy it is going shopping, you know. And I, I, I was thinking, maybe, well, maybe I can download that and show it. The problem is she uses some off-color words, so I better not, better not uh, use that in church, right? <clears throat> so I was contemplating uh, the stress of the season, the anxiety it can cause as well as some people I know that I've talked to recently who are, uh, shall we say, stressed out. That's the term we use today. And it got me thinking about Paul's exhortation here in Philippians chapter 4. Starting in verse 4, it reads like this. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness, or I'm reading in New King James, the best word here is forbearance. Let your forbearance be known to all men, The Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. He's close by. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Then he goes on to say, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever noble, whatever just, whatever pure, whatever lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, there are many sources of anxiety or stress, if you want to call it that, in our lives. Um... We might be having, I, I think one, one stress for many people is financial stress. Um, I don't know if you read the newspapers, very depressing, by the way, um, <clears throat> which is why many Christians don't bother. 
but the official number is inflation is 7.9. Well, I can tell you that that is an incorrect number. You know how I know? A couple years ago when I went to Taco Bell, I got four, four tacos for $2. Okay, that's 50 cents a taco. Not bad, right? I mean, no, it is bad. The food is bad, but the price isn't bad. So I go now, I went the other day, $4.18. $2.00 is not 7.9%. Now, I'm not really good at math. Maybe Steve Sanders can help me, but if, if something costs a dollar one year and the next year it costs $2, isn't that a 100% increase? Did I get that right? Yeah, okay, thank you. Now, another advice I have is I drink diet soda. Bad. Okay, bad for you. I know. So don't talk to me after church. And don't give me a lecture. I know it's bad. <laughs> but it's so good with the tacos. <laughs> You're going to go have a rotten taco, I might have a rotten soda with it, right? So a couple years ago, I could get a 12-pack of Diet Coke. On a good day, 350 on a bad day, average day, four bucks for a 12 pack. That's, that was the going rate. Now, $9.99. A good, now, again, I'm not going to number it, but if something costs $4 one year and the next year it costs $10, is that 7.9%? No. Steve, can you help me? What is that? Over 100%. Well, multiply it down the line of all the things you have to buy. Uh, Inflation's up, shrinkflation is up, you know what shrinkflation is? So you get a bag of chips and more junk food. Am I making you hungry yet? <laughs> and so the price isn't too bad, but when you open the bag, something's missing. The chips, <laughs> the chips are missing. <laughs> Same bag, more air. Shrinkflation. So we're laughing about it, but it's a serious thing. Many people are on fixed incomes. Uh, mortgage rates are crazy. Mortgages are crazy. Price of everything's up. It's stressful. And I can tell you, as much as I love the Christmas season, my wife and I, by God's grace, were able to live on one salary for most of our marriage. But Christmas was stressful financially. I remember sitting down and saying, okay, I want my kids to have presents under the tree, so what, uh, am I going to pay this bill late, or am I going to pay that bill late? Because I can't pay all my bills and buy those presents. I just, you know, it's just not there. It was always stressful for me, as much as I love the celebration. But we have other stresses in our lives. You may be having problems at your job. Um... You may be having health issues. A friend of yours or a spouse may be having health issues. You may be having marriage conflict. The long list of things that can cause us stress and anxiety in our lives, amen? Which is why this scripture is so necessary and even, I believe, in, in our time, so urgent. That we are to be anxious for nothing. So let's look Let's look at this text and see how, how, how is it that we can be anxious for nothing in spite of all the things that cause anxiety in this world, right? What Jesus calls the cares of this age. The cares of this age. 
There's three things in this text. I don't know if we'll get to all of it. We'll just get to what we can. I won't go too long. <laughs> That's a joke, right? <laughs> three things are here. Three things are mentioned. Prayer and worship uh, in verses 4 through 6. Um, meditation in verse 8. And application in verse 9. And we'll try to walk through all of it. If not, we'll get through whatever we can. But if we do these things, we have a promise from the Lord that his peace will be granted to us and this peace will guard our mind and our hearts or our mind and our, our heart and our thoughts. First thing mentioned is worship and prayer. Notice in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. There's a great quote by a commentator. I have to read it. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to read out of this, this one, uh, one great commentary. I'm just going to leave that there. He says, the word kurios, now the word kurios means what, do you know? Lord, yeah. That's the word Lord. He says, is the usual designation for Christ. So, rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ is what he's saying, always. And again, I will say rejoice. It points to him, Jesus, as the element and the sphere of joy. <clears throat> the joy was to be continual, not a fitful rapture, but a uniform emotion. He, and he says this, listen up. <clears throat> the apostle Paul wished them to come to a full appreciation of their position and their connection with Christ. If they could truly judge their condition and prospects and contrast them with their past state, their lost state, of gloom and unhappiness, could they but realize the nobleness and power of the truth they had embraced and the riches and the certainty of the hopes they were cherishing? Could they estimate the saving change effected in their soul and picture also the glorification which was to pass over their bodies. And then, as they traced all these blessings to Christ and to union with him, then they would rejoice in the Lord. Then they would rejoice in the Lord. He says to, re to rejoice in him is to exult in him. Not as a dim distraction, abstraction, but as a living person. Hear that? Rejoice in the Lord, not as a historic figure, but as a living Savior. A living and present Savior. Which is why Paul says here, after he says rejoice in the Lord, he says the Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. Now some, in some, this word here for near can mean near in time or near in space depending on the context. In James, it's used, and it's near in time, but here, I believe, it's near in space. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is present with you. And the Lord is present here today in the midst of his people. Jesus is here. So we exult in him not as a dim abstraction, but as a living person, so near and so loving so generous and so powerful that our spirit ever turns to him in admiring and grateful homage 
and we covet his presence as its sunshine and revel in fellowship with him. Amen? Despondency is weakness, but joy is strength. So true. So what Paul does is he, he, he's turning the mind away from the problems, really the distractions, the stresses, and, and turns the mind toward the Lord Jesus Christ. First in rejoicing, but then also in prayer. Notice the, the prayer here in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds or thoughts through Christ Jesus. First thing to point out about this prayer is that it is a comprehensive prayer. He says, be anxious for what? Nothing. You know what nothing means in Greek? <laughs> no thing. And I know we make excuses, but, you know, they're so important to me, and, and this and that, we make, no. He says, don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, and that's contrasted with in everything. Nothing in everything. Anxious for nothing, prayer, and thanksgiving in everything. There's no issue or situation that's outside the reach of God. Amen? There's no secular issues that do not need prayer or of which God is not concerned. If it concerns you, it concerns God. Why? Because God loves you. And you are his child. Let me tell you, raising four kids, I uh, play with a lot of dolls. Can somebody pick that up for me? It's bothering me. You probably, I don't even know if you can see it. Can you see it? Sorry. Sorry. Played with a lot of dolls. Had wonderful tea parties. Army men. All the things, you know. Uh, and, and, and I don't like any of those things. <laughs> I don't like tea parties because there's no tea. No Diet Coke either, but there, anyway. And I remember my daughter would come up with a doll and, oh, look at my dolly. You want to comb her hair with me? And I'm like, sure I do. Okay. But the truth is, I did care about those things. Why? Because somebody I loved cared about them. And that's the way the Lord is. If it concerns us, he cares about it. And oftentimes we don't pray at the... I find myself sometimes thinking, I shouldn't pray about this because this is too trivial. To bring this to God is too trivial. But if it concerns me, it concerns him because I'm an object of his love. The Lordship of Jesus extends to every realm, every detail of our lives. So prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving is appropriate concerning all things, everything. But he doesn't say just pray and supplicate. And by the way, prayer is, is really the, the address to God. Supplication is the earnestness of the address. You know what I'm saying? 
In other words, prayer by itself can just be a mere formality. But supplication is an earnest, heartfelt, passionate entreaty. Lay it out there. Really lay it out there. And pray from the depths of your heart, is what he's really saying. But he also says we're to pray with thanksgiving. So this is the qualifier, um, I believe, to get our mind off of the problem directly and onto the, to the, the solution of the problem, which is what? God. By thanking God during prayer, we remind ourselves of all of his past benefits and provisions. Sometimes I will find myself worrying about something, and I'm like, what are you doing How many times have you worried about this thing in the past and every time the Lord has come through? He is faithful. And yet we forget. And I think I'm like the people of Israel. They go through the, they see God open the sea, right? I mean, that's a pretty heavy miracle. He drowns their enemies in the sea. Astonishing miracle. They're fully delivered from slavery to freedom. And before, you know, before you know it, what are they doing? They're grumbling, they're complaining because they're afraid God isn't going to take care of them. What else did God need to do? But they forgot. And that's what we do, we forget. You've been in this situation before. Maybe not exactly the same, but essentially similar. And God has always come through, He's always provided. I, I, if I had time, which we don't, I could tell you many stories about miraculous things God has done in our life. Ma- miraculous provision over the years. Um, and yet it's so easy to forget his past blessings. That's why we need to pray with thanksgiving. And we need to thank God. We need to stop and we need to think, you know what? What has God already done for me? How has he already provided? How have I seen him work in my life or in the life of the person I'm concerned about? How many times have I seen answered prayer in the past? So why am I stressing out about this? And so we thank him for all the the past that he's done, but we thank him not just for physical things, we thank him for all the spiritual blessings we have. And you start thinking about what Jesus has done for us. When we start thinking about the reality that he has given us eternal life, versus eternal damnation, that's enough. That is enough. Because we don't deserve that. We don't deserve anything. No, actually, correction, we deserve hell. But he's delivered us from that. And then he, he, so he's delivered us from the penalty of sin, but then he, he works in our life to remove the power of sin. He reconciles up to us to himself, We are justified. We stand before God in his grace. We can enter into his presence. We have access to him directly through his Holy Spirit. What else do we want? Right? So we stop and we meditate or think. As we thank, we think. As we thank, we think. Count your blessings one by one. Make a list and pray to the Lord, thanking him for all that he has done, all that he is doing, and all that he will do for you.
But notice also that this prayer is not only a grateful prayer and a comprehensive prayer, it's an intimate prayer. It's interesting here, he says in verse 6, let your request be made known to God. That seems straightforward. I don't know about your translation. It's probably, if not very similar, identical. But what's interesting about this is that the, the word to God or unto God is actually a word which means toward God or it can be translated in his presence or before his face. Isn't that good? Now, I don't know about you, but I have prayed at times, and I am not in God's presence when I pray. I prayed to God before, and I'm not in his face, if you know what I mean. And by the way, this is the same Greek preposition that's used in John 1, 1, where it talks about, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. That word with, with God, is this preposition, pros, toward God, facing God. That's probably the best way to translate it. Bring your, bring your prayers and supplication with thanksgiving and face God. Talk to him face to face. Not a literal face. We're not talking about a physical face. But you know what I mean when I say face to face. That means unveiled. That means you're revealed. You reveal yourself to him. Now, he knows you. He knows all your stresses. He knows your needs. He knows everything about you. But you don't. And you need to unveil yourself to him. Show him your face, and he will show you his face. Because that's when prayer is truly real prayer. Fellowship prayer, presence prayer. Not a formality at all but an intimate time of communion with God through his Holy Spirit based on the work of Jesus. Amen? One of the main reasons we do not experience God's peace when we pray, and I've seen this many times, people will pray about something, go to prayer meeting, I'm going to pray for this, it's been burdening me, and they pray, they get up just a burden and leave. That's not what Paul's talking about, because there's a promise here. One of the times, reasons we don't experience the peace is because we're not entering into his presence genuinely. The psalmist said God is a very present help in time of need. Present. With you. And for us believers... Let me remind you, since I talked in the Holy Spirit recently, he is in you. There is no greater intimacy. But he can be grieved. He can be quenched. He can be ignored. But we have an invitation by God to come into his very presence when when we pray to him about the things that are troubling us. If we do not come into God's presence, then our prayers become formal and not personal, distant and not intimate. Prayer is more than just repeating a once list. It is unburdening the heart to your loving Father. As Peter says, cast your care upon him, 
because he cares for you. In times of trouble, times of anxiety, even times of affliction, there's something we need even more than an answer to our prayer. We need the presence of God who hears our prayer. Amen? If you have God, you have all. And if you have not God, you have nothing. If you have God, you have all. And if you have not God, you have nothing. So what we seek is not just answers to our prayers. We do, we do want answers, but we want something more. We want the fellowship that brings the unburdening of the soul and the peace of God to our hearts. I'll go quickly. The second thing I mentioned is meditation, and, and this is in verse 8. Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, praiseworthy, virtue, virtuous, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So instead of dwelling, I, I, I emphasize the word dwelling on the problem, rather look at the good. In a sense, this is a, a prescription for understanding Romans 8.28, where it says that God is working all things together for good to those who love him. All things. So, in difficulties or times of stress, we look for two kinds of good. One is the good present that's already present in the situation. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm a typical American in many ways. I, I'm, I'm sorry to say that. What Americans care about is peace and comfort. Not God's peace, but you know what I mean, worldly peace and comfort. <clears throat> I don't like <clears throat> stress, I don't like anxiety, I don't like difficulties, I don't like trials. <clears throat> Yet we're told in the word to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Now that's a mind bender, isn't it? You're talking about something that is so contrary to the mind of the flesh, the mind of the world. Hey, your car broke down, praise the Lord. Hey, your Christmas tree caught your house on fire. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Somebody's got joy. But God ordains these things in our life to transform our character. <clears throat> right? So as, as we look at our situation, oftentimes we are we Americans, I'll just speak for Americans, generally speaking. We are stressed and we are complaining about what are called first world problems. I, you, know, you can complain about your car not working right, but many people in the world don't even have a car. Right? Think about this thing in your house has to be repaired, that's going to cost me enough money, I don't really have the money, I'm stressed out about it. Well, you have a house. You have a roof over your head. And there's so much good in your present, but it gets, our view gets distorted by focusing on the negative things, right? But in those difficulties, those stresses, God is working, and because of human nature being what it is, he has to use pressure. Pressure. As a matter of fact, in Psalms, it talks about the, the refiner's fire. 
I love fires. We have a fireplace. Love it. We have fire almost every evening in the winter. But I don't stick my hand in it, right? Because it burns. It's painful. And this, this transformation that God is working in our lives can be painful. And a lot of Christians spend their life trying to walk around the problem that God has put right in front of them in order that their interaction with that, that problem and their response to that problem is part of his divine plan to transform them. Amen. And yet, what do they do? They seek to go around it. They seek to avoid it. And I can tell you this, if God is bringing a problem or difficulty into your life, whether that's a person or uh, finances or health issues, if you try to avoid what he is ordaining for you, he will just bring you right back to it. Right back to it. There is no escape. Say it. No escape. That's why Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they could have been in the promised land in about a week and a half. Forty years. Forty years. They didn't want, they didn't want to be changed from slaves free men. They wanted comfort. They wanted more than anything security. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, you know, Israel had gotten accustomed to slavery. Now they complained about it, but you notice when they got out of it, they, they complained about that too. They just complained. But there's something about being in the, that condition that they liked. And I thought, well, I mean, what, what was it? I mean, what really was attractive to them about being in slavery? It wasn't that they didn't work hard. They worked hard. They worked very hard. So it wasn't the work. The thing they missed, or the, in other words, the thing they liked that they lost in the wilderness, which was really free, they, they were taken from slavery to freedom, the thing that they missed was security. Yeah, they can complain about the bricks and complain about the hard work and complain about this, but they always knew they had a job and they always knew they had a meal. But when they were free, things became a little different, right? God is working in your life through these stresses and anxieties to transform you, to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ. So as you think about, and as you pray, you, you ask the Lord to show you, Lord, and this is the first thing I say about anything now, when anything hard happens, I say, what do you want me to learn? It took me a long time to get to that place where that was my response. What do you want me to learn in this situation? Another way you could say it is, how do you want me to change? So God brings these things in our life to change us, to draw us to him. So he tells us to, to not only pray, worship, he says to meditate on these things. And he lists this list. We don't have time. Each one of these could be a whole sermon. And maybe I'll preach it someday if I'm invited back. But he mentions the truthful the honest or the, the respectable, the, the reverent, the, that which is just or righteous, the pure, um, 
lovely, amiable, gracious, good report, virtue, which is moral excellence or even moral energy, anything worthy of praise, in other words, anything that's a fit object of recognizing the good in it, then recognize the good in it. I know people, they talk about the, the silver lining on the cloud. I know people, you show them a bunch of silver linings and they'll find the dark cloud. I mean, they're just, they have, they have this like honing sense. Is it honing or homing? Probably homing. We'll look that up. For sure, no matter how good the news is, they'll find a problem. They'll find the bad news somewhere. This is the opposite. Be attuned to the good, even in the bad. And then he says, my, my, the King James says, think on these things, but the better translation is, is now the New King James. I don't know about yours. It says to meditate on these things. Meditation is not just thinking. Meditation is thinking carefully and continually. To meditate takes time. You actually have to ponder. You have to think. And so we're told to, to, he gives us a list of these things. And what Paul is doing here is he's really teaching us how to transform our minds. That's what he's doing. Instead of being, instead of being immersed in, in uh, anxieties and cares, and I think in the case of the Philippians, there was a conflict going on. We know that from verses 1 through 3 in this, this chapter. And he's saying, raise yourself above all this. Rise above it and meditate on these things, the true, the good, the pure, the beautiful, the noble. Transform your mind. Lastly, application. Paul says in verse 9, the things that you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Now this is a really, really, really important word in Greek. The word do means do. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Can you say you're living like Paul? Well, if not, then you're not doing what he's saying to do. Yes. Paul says to do. Do what? Do what he teaches. He says, what you have received and heard, do. What you've been taught, do. But he also says, we are to not only obey his teaching, we are to follow the apostolic example. He says, the things that you have heard and saw in me, these things, things the things you've seen me do, do. And the God of peace will be with you. In other words, instead of worrying, look to God's word and saintly examples and then apply this to your life. Note also Paul's order in this whole passage is pray, think, do. Pray, think, do. And this is always the proper order. We don't do and then say, God bless what we're doing. No, we pray to know what to do. Some of us like the one, but not the other. You think of Martha, right, who was a doer, and Mary, who was more of a thinker. Some of us 
don't want to spend quiet time with God, at least not too long, because then it gets a little uncomfortable when the Holy Spirit starts showing you your heart, right? Mm. So let's get busy. And often, action gets confused with devotion. Activity is not spirituality in itself, right? So, some people are problem solvers and immediately go to work on a a solution for a problem. Others stay so long in their needs, they make no practical plans at all. And so we have a pattern here of pray and worship, meditate, and then do. In conclusion, let me say this. If we do these things, we have a promise from the Lord that the peace of God will guard our hearts. Um, It's a peace that is from God, but it's also God's peace. You know that in Timothy, God is called the ever-blessed God. That means God's happy. God is happy. You think, oh, how can he be happy? There's so much sorrow and suffering. and no, no, no. Well, guess what? It surpasses understanding. It truly does. But there's a tranquility at the center of the Trinity. And that is the peace that is promised here. Not just peace from God, but the peace of God. The tranquility and sense of contentment and happiness that can be imparted to the believer through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I may not know your worries or anxieties, but I do know this. If you are God's child, that is, if you love him as your father, He not only will, but he is working all things for your good. There's nothing in your life over which he does not rule. For the Christian, there's no such thing as an accident. And because of his great love for you, whatever touches you, touches him. Whatever touches you, touches him. And recall that Jesus in Hebrews is called our sympathizing high priest who is tempted in all ways as we are. Can you imagine living the life that Jesus lived? Just forget about the cross for a moment. Just all the harassment, all the questioning, all the people clinging to him and chasing him and following him. Never Never hardly a moment of, of, of real quietude. But he wasn't stressed out. Now, he was hungry. He was weary. At times he was sad in the sense that he carried our burdens and griefs. But Jesus wasn't stressed out. Whatever touches you, touches him. Because he loves you. He knows the things that you need, yet he is calling you into his presence to pray, supplicate, and thank him, which means, in a word, to fellowship. That is the call. 
And when you are fellowshipping with the Lord, you have the surpassing peace of God. That's where it is. And this is the answer to anxiety and the key to peace. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is so clear and really, Lord, so simple if we will hear and obey. I ask that the word spoken today, Lord, your word, not mine, but your word would bear fruit in all of our lives, that we would be a people who rise above the cares of this age, a people that truly walk in fellowship with the living God. And I pray that our peace and our joy would be a witness to a very unhappy, sad, dying world. Make us as lights shining in the darkness through your presence in us. And I pray this, Father, in the name of your Son, through your Holy Spirit. Amen.